You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, it's hard to believe it. This is episode 60 of the Wheelhouse Podcast. It is also our final episode of the 2019 season. As always, I'm Aaron Goldsmith, alongside the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry DePoto. Colin O'Keefe runs things for us, as always, also. And we appreciate you tuning in all season long. This is, after all, our first year right here on Rude Sports. If you want the entire episode of this podcast or any others, you can find the Wheelhouse Podcast wherever you find your podcasts, on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever that might be. Well, Jerry, as we put the final touches on the 2019 campaign for the Mariners, uh, we have seen a record number of faces on this ball club this year, many of them new to the Mariners organization, and a number of them, of course, new in September, especially on the younger side of things. What's it been like for you the final month of the season to see so many young minor leaguers in particular come up and, and make a pretty big impact for the ball club. Well, you know, now they're major leaguers. So I, I guess on some level, it's been really rewarding for us, especially over the course of these last two months, seeing the young players from our system start to matriculate toward the major leagues and, and, and make their debuts in many cases. Guys like Jake Fraley and Justice Sheffield and Kyle Lewis and Justin Dunn, who we are building so much of our future on, being able to get the opportunity to take this last month and perform here in the big leagues. It's been rewarding for us to watch. In some cases, a lot of fun, like, like what Kyle was able to do. And, and in some cases, we're watching growth from outing to outing. And, and in some cases, we're gaining perspective of where the players are in their development so that we have a better idea for how to manage April of 2020 and beyond. we got to dig deep a little bit into Kyle Lewis. Your first draft pick with the Mariners, of course, a stud in college and Mercer, the Golden Spikes Award winner. It's kind of funny the way that his minor league career developed or was stunted is maybe a better way to put it. In addition to you making so many moves in this past offseason in particular, bringing in so many high-profile prospects, it's funny how amongst the fan base, I, th- I think it's safe to say, and Colin, you might have some perspective here, that Kyle Lewis kind of got forgotten about. Right. I mean, a lot of that because he wasn't on the field as much as everyone would have liked to see, but also a lot of new faces. He comes up, homers in his first three games in the big leagues, has homered in about half of his big league games so far. All of a sudden, we kind of remember, hey, this is a this isn't just a guy. This is a real stud who's getting his feet wet for the first time at the major league level. And what happened to, to Kyle was so unfortunate. And, you know, this dates back to August 2016. He is he's the Golden Spikes winner. He is in some corridors expected to go 1-1 in the in the amateur draft that year we feel fortunate that he falls to us at, at pick number 11 and then feel really fortunate pinching ourselves when he goes out and starts his professional career by OPSing something north of 900 in Everett and then you know lo and behold uh, a really gruesome knee injury at home plate with just a couple of weeks left to play in the season and it it really took a lot of the next two years away from his development and that this year was so important, much more so than last year. Last year was his re-entry to the field, and and frankly, we weren't at all concerned with the results in 2018 for Kyle. It was just getting him on the field. 
this year was starting to build a routine and actually resume his development as a as a full-time baseball player and and I think as you're seeing a lot of that did happen it's it's something that over the course of the summer may have got lost in the trees because the the Dickie Stevens Park there in Little Rock does play particularly unfairly for right-handed hitter and and you know Kyle did a lot of good things that we talked about on past podcasts when we did the 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 broadcast on route when when we uh, did the playoff game there in Arkansas he hits the ball hard he makes good swing decisions you can get fooled if you're looking at Kyle Lewis's strikeout column as the only indicator of how he controls the strike zone the, the power is mammoth. He can hit out of any ballpark anywhere, uh, meaning line to line. He hits a fastball as well as anybody, and he identifies a breaking ball. So a lot of the pieces are in place for him to be an impact offensive player. You know, I, I hope that 2020 is, ex- is as exciting as September 2019 uh, was for us. But, you know, there is going to be some adjustment period for Kyle as a major league player, and we're thrilled with how quickly he made, he made the transition. One of those new faces that we've had a chance to see uh, more than just a couple of times up on the mound is Justice Sheffield. Uh, Having a couple of conversations with Scott Service and Paul Davis as well, start to start in the final stretch of the season, they have been pretty overwhelmed with the improved quality of some of his pitches. They feel like his changeup in particular has taken some strides forward, his third pitch essentially. Uh, What have you made of the back end of the season for Justice and what he's been able to do in, in a handful of starts to end the year? You know, <clears throat> I think with Justice, the thing to remember is that he's 23 years old. As we sit here and finally, I guess, going through the final days of this season and, and he's wrapping up his year, Justice Sheffield at 23 is one of the 12 youngest starting pitchers by birth date in the big leagues this year. And, you know, that by itself is remarkable. It's a little older than the norm for for the youngest pitchers in the league, but he has been one of the youngest pitchers in the league this year. He dominated at the AA level once we sent him back uh, to Arkansas to reset his season. And since he's come back to to Seattle and wraps up September here, over the final month of the season, so from August 26th until the end of September, He's among the top 15 pitchers in the league in swinging strike percentage. He's among the top 15 in ERA minus FIP, uh, which is pretty indicative of pitchers who are not experiencing a great deal of luck. I believe he is dead last in BABIP against. So a lot of what you're seeing with with Justice, and he's and he's actually he ranks quite highly in strikeout percentage. I think 13th overall in pure strikeout percentage. So we're seeing a lot of the things you want to see from a young, stuffy pitcher who's growing. We just haven't been able to see that three or four or five inning stretch where he just puts it all together and runs with it. And But I suspect that having been given a half a dozen starts here at the finish of 2019, that we are in 2020 to a point where you see that confident swagger that he has about him when he's going really good from day one. We saw it last spring. Uh, we've seen it periodically as the season comes to a close here. And I have no doubt that we're going to see that more consistently in, in 2020. Let's talk a little bit about the timetable for this plan that you laid out very clearly for everyone over the course of the winter. I mean, we've talked about justice 
Kyle Lewis. We've seen Jake Fraley, unfortunately, the thumb injury costing him the season. But we, we saw him make his major league debut this year. I mean, you see J.P. Crawford and uh, Shed Long as well. These pieces that have all come up, and a number of them have had some consistent playing time. Is this where you were hoping to see the ball club in terms of the pieces arriving at this state? How are things progressing in terms of the timetable in your eyes? I think with maybe one exception, we're right on time. Uh, we, our, our expectation was that while we were going through this in September, we would have Jake Fraley with us. And the fact that Jake had, you know, first some issues that, that he had to deal with personally that were unfortunate, uh, tragic really, and then what we were dealing with in terms of his injury, which wound up being not as, as ominous as it could have been, but it did knock him out for the better part of three weeks. And, you know, finishing his season on the IL was not what we had in mind. So, you know, for, in, for the purposes of building our team, uh, we would love to have had Jake out there regularly with Kyle, with Justice, with Shed and JP, etc. That didn't happen, but otherwise couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier with what the, the improvements that JP Crawford made over the course of the season. You know, he went through a real high high with the bat and then he went through a big lull and now toward the end here pulled himself back out of it. And the at-bats have been really good. He's always exercised good judgment at home plate. And his defense has been steadily improving from day one to the point where I think it's been impact for us. And not just because we were so bad for the first 60 days, but because JP is just a good defender at shortstop. Uh, Shed Long has been a breath of fresh air, especially in round two. You know, when we had when we had Shed up for the first time, <clears throat> that happened quickly due to injuries. We had a, a series of small injuries, if you, as you may remember, uh, that, that started when we were on an East Coast trip. We kind of had to run Shed into duty pretty quickly. And over the course of his first trip through the big leagues, he was running about a 95-ish you know, OPS plus or, or weighted runs created plus, which is a fringy average major league hitter at 23 with no experience. We sent him back. He, shortly thereafter, he had the thumb injury. Uh, came back, and since he's come back, he's verified that our initial thought, Shed can hit. Uh, and Shed's also done a, a very, I guess, Shed has done a better job than you would have thought just dumping him in left field with very little experience. And I could say the same about Tim Lopes and Dylan Moore. and You know, fill in the blanks. There's been a bunch. Shed's been a breath of fresh air, as has Dylan Moore. The, the Kyle Lewis month of September could not have gone any better for us. He, he showed up and he raked and he did, he hit the ground with some electricity. We talked about Justice Sheffield's steady progression and showing you things you want to see. I think each outing that Justin Dunn had has been considerably better than the last. And, you know, particularly the outing against the Astros gave us an opportunity to see what he's about when he's pounding the strike zone and it's real stuff. So all these players that we've talked about all season long as prospects for future Mariners teams, we've effectively talked about it in just this way. The future is not five and six years out. The future is at our doorstep, and, they, and they're starting to show up. And that's, that's not pie in the sky. They're here. It's pretty surreal to think back on spring training when Ched Long was just a good story, an exciting story, and a guy – I remember going on the – the spring broadcast and gushing about him and I think he singled back up the middle but to have him come up like in game two versus the Astros which obviously could have gone better but it was interesting to see this guy come up in the ninth inning two men on you're like you know if if he roped a home run to right I'd believe it and just putting the numbers in context Kyle Lewis as amazing as he's been in September since his call up 150 WRC plus shed long 
on the nose, exact same, 150 WRC plus, 324, 361, 588 in September. It's it's pretty wild. And I'm curious, along the subject line of shed, and I wouldn't hold you to anything, Jerry, so much can change over the course of the winter, and of course, Shed's pro major league career is just barely underway. But I'm curious, him at the top of the order, which has been really fun and more than just intriguing, has this been done because of necessity of how the 2019 Mariners lineup is constructed, especially in September? Or is this something that is really more of an audition for a role that he could have in the future? I think it's both of those things. But in looking through the players we have, we, we talked about, you know, J.P. Crawford has excellent zone judgment. Uh, Shed Long might have as good a judgment of the strike zone as any player we have. He just happens to be 23 with very limited experience in the big leagues. He has a really good idea of where the strike zone is. He gives you the, the, the ability to start a game with a bang. And not just a homer, but, you know, he, Shed's got some zing in the bat. He can, he can shoot the gaps. He hits the ball hard. He does take his walks. And one of, as we've gone through the, the second half of this season, again, over the last 30, 40 days of, uh, as the season's drawn to a close, as we've gotten younger, our walk rate has actually improved. So a lot of the players that we are promoting from the minor leagues, while you're going to see periods of inconsistency, you're also seeing a walk rate that has now risen up to, over the course of the last 30, 40 days to join some of the more elite teams in the league in our ability to take a, a walk. Now, unfortunately, we are also near the bottom and striking out. But there's the, the, the idea is you know, to control what you can control at home plate, which is judging the strike zone, and we'll work from there. And Shed Long gives us the best building block that we have at the top of a lineup. Hey, since you brought up minor leaguers, uh, we all couldn't help but notice there were three of them in particular in the clubhouse here at T-Mobile Park at the end of the season. Some real studs that we're going to see here. On the field in Mariners uniforms at T-Mobile Park uh, not too far from now. Cal Raleigh, who had a magnificent season uh, ending the year at AA. Of course, Evan White, who put together a, a really strong season with Arkansas once again. And Logan Gilbert, who you couldn't have asked for anything more from Logan Gilbert in what turned out to be his first pro season, last year's first-round draft pick. This is a really cool thing, I think, that you and Scott Service are doing, kind of this ride-along for those three guys, the final homestand. Well, the Dodgers did this last year with Will Smith, their catcher, who made a major impact for them uh, this year for a 100-win ball club. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that process, what went into those three guys coming for the final homestand, and what you're hoping that they get out of it? You know, I, this dates back to growing up in the minor leagues with the Indians, as I did. The, the Indians began this program in the winter of 1990 or thereabouts, and uh you know, they would bring a, a handful of players. Sometimes it was three, sometimes it was five each September to the big leagues and just let them experience the big leagues through the lens of the, the apprentice, so to speak. Take pregame, get out there on the field, run through BP. You know, at that time we were actually still throwing bullpens and, and things like that. And acclimate yourself to the way they work in the big leagues, the way they go through their day, the way they go through the meetings and so that, you know, whether it's next April, next June, or next September, by then I would suspect that all three of those players will have made their major league debut. We've, we've familiarized them with our, our environment, and they know who the manager is. They have a feel for the staff. The teammates are, are familiar. 
as importantly, when they show up to spring training, they hit the ground running and they feel the confidence level. It's why we chose those three. Uh, we could have added another couple, but the Arizona Fall League w- was calling. So we sent some to, to go play in the AFL. These three happened to be what we thought were our closest to the major league's most polished and, and major league ready players who would benefit from this, who weren't already committed to going to the Fall League. And uh, we do feel like all three of those guys rank among our best prospects. Uh, they rank among those who are going to make an impact for us, not in the in the future, not well out into the future, but next year. And this was important for us to try to help assimilate them sooner than later. As you saw, you know, with, with, with Justin Dunn and his first couple of outings, it's not easy walking out there on the big league field for the first time regardless of your pedigree, first round draft pick, dominate the double A level, pitch in playoff scenarios. When you walk out on that big league field for the first time, your heart is beating fast. And and I can tell you from experience, it feels like it's coming through your chest. And the sooner you can slow it down, the better chance you have at growing into what your true talent level is. And and hopefully it happens quickly for these guys. My biggest takeaway when I saw those three guys in the clubhouse was that if you were an outsider and had no idea about the Mariners roster, you would think that those three guys were major leaguers. I mean, they all passed the eye test, and Logan Gilbert is a big dude, man. That is a big young man. He's huge. <laughs> There's a, I think John Stanton said to me, I didn't realize Logan Gilbert was that tall. I, you know, I, I don't look up to many people, and that was, that was notable. And Logan's 6'6", and you know, similarly, Brandon Williamson, our, our second-round pick this year, is 6'6", 6'7". We've... Uh, George Kirby, 6'4". These guys are big. They they have the ability to create leverage, throw downhill, and, and in Logan's case, create great deception. And the height is part of it. And giant hands that can spin the baseball as well. I got a chance to actually meet him, greet him for the first time, and it was like, this is a polished, front-of-the-line looking guy. Just Yeah, I just saw him. One of my favorite things you mentioned getting on the field, one of my favorite moments from the last, we'll call it months, two months, is just... Gilbert was out watching them throw bullpen, like you said, seeing the routines. And it was funny to watch him uh, walk back across the outfield and start to think, yeah, one of these days, you know, he's going to have a uniform on, have the coat on, and it'll be about the same look to it. But that was pretty cool. And it's, yeah, it's cool to see those guys down there. Well, so much talk about the youth on this team, especially at the the back end of the season, Jerry. This has been a year probably in a lot of ways defined by the youth. But when you think back on the 2019 season for the Mariners, what do you think you'll think of? Yeah, the the fact that we committed to doing something and and we did it. It's it would have been very easy to to get wet feet, so to speak, when we started to see the way the month of May particularly was playing out. And you know, I I wouldn't call it we burnt the bridge after we crossed, but we came pretty close to burning the bridge. We we committed and jumped in the pool, and we just we went and we went ahead and learned how to swim and. I, I'm very proud of Scott and the staff for, for the part that they've played in helping us get across this season. I'm really happy for the young players who got the opportunity. In a, I, I guess in a weird way, I can say I'm even happier for some of the, the veteran players that that you might not have thought of as part of the, the building blocks of a future championship roster. But that's what we think Tom Murphy has the ability to be. And, you know, the contributions that Omar Narvaez made, the, 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 the way that Austin Nola came along. So many guys that really developed. So I'll look back on this season and think that it was the, the starting point for us laying the foundation for what we really believe is going to be a, a, a positive future. 
there have been some pretty flashy things about the 2019 season for the Mariners, namely the names of some of the young guys that we've been eager to see, whether it be for a couple of years from now or since they were acquired over the winter. But is there uh, someone or something about the 2019 season, Jerry, that you think has kind of flown under the radar that you wish maybe got talked about more or received a little more attention? There's outside of the the constant, which is the, the way we've referenced our minor league system. There there are always going to be some players at the minor league levels that aren't getting as much love as others. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about guys like Kelnick and Julio and and Evan and even Kyle, the 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 more prominent prospects in our group. And we we've not really spent as much time talking about guys like Donnie Walton and Sam Delaplane and you know some of the really neat stories that happen at the lower levels of our minor league system guys like Devin Sweet you know, who we may have not uttered his name on the the broadcast before but these guys had great years and you know, that has been a strong positive i will i'll always remember this year for the way it started in Japan with the really a moment none of us will ever forget with Ichiro uh, I'll probably never forget Ichiro giving his speech uh, uh, here at T-Mobile in English. Uh, I will also never forget what he said to me when he sat down in his chair, which I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> and not because it can't be repeated on air, but because I think it's so funny that it's his to to tell. But uh, so many memorable moments like every other baseball season, whether you win or whether you don't, there are so many things that you take away and remember. But I, I really have no regret for this season. We gave the, the opportunity to the young players. We knew that it was going to be a struggle in the win-loss column, and we were willing to bear that to, to find greener pastures. And I think we're starting to see that come into to perspective now. Since you mentioned his name, is Sam Delaplane the best-kept secret in baseball? Unbelievable. His numbers this year, you're right. We have not talked about him enough. To your credit, you have mentioned him in this format a number of times, but he finishes the year at double A, striking out almost 16 batters per nine, a whip that begins with a 0. 0.8. Uh, it's been remarkable. I mean, how, how has this come about for Sam? Well, I will tell you this, and th- this is probably the greatest compliment that I could give Sam, other than citing how phenomenal he's been in the performance categories, is we went through the month of September vetting our people in terms of the the awards that we hand out at the minor league level. And we've got our minor league player of the year, which was a more, I guess, a livelier discussion than it's ever been since I've been here with the Mariners. And ultimately it went to Jared Kelnick, but not before two or three others really got airtime. You know, the we went to the organizational pitcher of the year, which ultimately went to Logan Gilbert, who coincidentally was a, was a Final Four member for the overall Minor League Pitcher of the Year by MinorLeagueBaseball.com. And when we're having the conversation about Logan Gilbert, multiple people said, what about Sam Delaplane? And, you know, pretty phenomenal when you're talking about a first-round draft pick who finished in the top 10 in most meaningful categories in all of Minor League Baseball in Logan Gilbert. And that there was a case to be made that that Sam Delaplane, the reliever who moved late round reliever who moved two rounds, two levels in one year, should be getting that type of consideration. Endeared himself to his coaches, a good teammate. Uh, I will say, wildly impressive in how he handled a transition into more leverage type scenarios. Uh, he's got a fastball that's in the mid, touches upper nineties. He rides it. Not a particularly tall guy. He creates deception by running it uphill. 
and has a just a dynamite slider that's a bat misser when it leaves his hand and had a phenomenal year uh i would say i I can say this now were our circumstances different this year if we were a contending team we would probably be looking at sam delaplane here in seattle now but the fact that we're not contending we decided to sending them to the arizona fall league to finish out his year there come to spring training and have a chance to make our big league team right from the start I'm curious to get your perspective a little bit on this season in baseball as a whole. Uh, I was talking about it a couple of times recently, actually, on the air, that when you look at how the race at the end of the season for the American League wild card comes down, it is nothing but further evidence that you and the rest of the baseball ops department made the right decision uh, to do what you did to the roster and to reset things. Because uh, you look at the Indians, for example, Uh, They're pushing a 90-win total in the mid-90s, and they are at risk, of course, of not making the playoffs. I mean, it's been remarkable. I can't remember the last time that there has been as much of a divide in this game between the haves and the have-nots, 100-win teams and 100-loss teams. Do you see this as something that will continue a trend in baseball, or is this a, a shell of time that we're just kind of in the middle of? I think it's more the latter, you know. It, it the shell of time that we're in is it's all about player talent. And right now the player talent is pooled in a, in a small number of markets. I, I, I marveled actually coming in this morning, uh, looking at what has happened in the final stages of the American League wildcard race. Uh, if you would have told me on opening day, and this is a credit to the Oakland A's, uh, the, if you would have told me that the Oakland A's were going to win the second wild card, I, I would have told you, I'm buying. If you would have told me they were going to do it by virtue of having the fourth best pitching staff in the American League, led by Brett Anderson, Frankie Montas, and Chris Bassett, and I, they've done Mike Fires, that no disrespect to those pitchers. They're all good in their own right. They're not exactly household names. And the A's, like they've always done, have put together a wildly competitive staff with a super interesting young position player group. And they did it by piecing it together. And I, I think it's a great example of what you can achieve. Um, the American League, by and large, is about the, the top-heavy dominant teams in Houston, what I think is a rising power in Minnesota. Uh, Cleveland has been one of those teams for the last three or four years. Tampa Bay is a rising power. Uh, you know, the Yankees are dominant club this year. And the Red Sox, frankly, uh, while having a down year for the Red Sox, still a really good year. And, and we understood that we were not on that tier. And were we even to have kept the players that we had on our previous roster, we didn't think we could compete. So we were at peace with the way we opted to approach 2019. And I do think it's going to be a blip in time because the, the you can't maintain that forever. And many of the teams that I just described are really loaded with veteran players who are already in their young to mid-30s. And that won't last forever for those groups. I want to dig back in a little bit on the minor league side of things for the Mariners in 2019 from a player development standpoint. Obviously, the farm system has made immense strides in terms of the talent pool in which uh, we see suiting up on the minor league level for the Mariners. But how about the actual nuts and bolts of player development? Where was it at the start of this season? Where does it end? And and what do you envision kind of what's the next frontier for your guys on the minor league side? Uh, Not so much the players necessarily, but uh, the way that the coaching staff goes about their business, making these guys eventual Seattle Mariners. You know, to me, player development never ends. It's the it's it's a circle. It just continues to move round and round. 
even with your players who are you know in their 30s and you're you're trying to help them find that next tool the next ingredient that's going to unlock whatever it is that that helps them through the next tier you know that second win in their career and and sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't we have a wonderful group of coaches down in in player development they do done a phenomenal job Hey, we have been particularly aggressive in bringing in coaches from the college ranks. And, and we've done that for a reason is, is first, they understand communication in a different way than maybe those who had been in pro ball for, for the previous couple of decades. They also have a really good feel for how to practice and, and putting together real practice and development plans is critical. So we may have one of the younger and more, I, I guess, creative player development groups in the league by virtue of where they've come from. And, and they've been able to push the, the, the bar on so many of the programs we run, so many of the technologies that we'll, that we'll use. I do think that our strategist departments, you know, both in pitching and hitting, we see that as the next frontier, both in identifying players through identifying the ease in which they move. Uh, and I say that it's not just to the the naked eye. Ah, he moves pretty easy. It, they're, they're viewing it through the eyes of of biomechanical expertise, and and we're taking a lot more time investing in that. The technologies associated with it, believing that if we can tap into how to help the body move in a more efficient way, we can help the player improve in a more meaningful way. Eager to see what uh, next season holds in that regard, and kind of along those lines, Jerry. You've been uh, active, I guess would be a modest way to put it, uh, over the course of some of your winters here in Seattle. Uh, how do you envision this winter going in terms of uh, moves that you make or don't make? Now, I can answer this question uh, the way I'm really feeling, and you're probably going to tell me you're full of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and you wouldn't be wrong to think that, but we really think that we are entering the, the stable portion of this exercise. We have gone through a ton of players, 2019, and for a variety of different reasons, 2016 to 18, many of the deals that we made, while it is broadcast as manic trading, we were filling the periphery. Think about it. We had no farm system of note. Uh, we had a really talented core that we were trying to win with, and we didn't have the protection elements. So this core group was quite stable. You know, For most of that three years, you knew you were going to have Kyle and Robbie and Felix and, and Nelson Cruz and fill in the blanks. Uh, they were mostly Gene Seguras. They were mostly the same players, Mike Zanino, James Paxton, etc. And we were filling in on the rim, trying to help that group be as competitive as they could in a short window without the benefit of pulling players up and down from the minor leagues. And so it was a different type of action. Uh, this last year, we, we literally just tilled the soil we overturned the garden and now we have to let the garden grow there is not a lot of uh, of movement that we anticipate we'll we'll vet the market for potential trade opportunities but not with more than one or two guys that we see as as not necessarily a part of the core as we move forward what we think are core pieces we're really not going to be interested in moving because we want to allow it to gel we have no interest in moving our young players Quite the opposite. We want to give them opportunity. Uh, with very few exceptions on the field, I can roughly tell you who's going to be out there on opening day in 2020 unless there's injury. We do have some backfilling to do. That'll probably come through free agency. My guess is that either happens at the early, uh, in the early days of the market or in January. 
that we will be shopping on the two poles. We'll be shopping for the perfect fit or the right financial opportunity when we see the potential for a deal, so to speak. Uh, we'll do that with three or four spots on our pitching staff. We don't really see a need on the position player side. We're going to give the young players a chance to, to play. I don't think you're going to see as crazy a volume. I know you won't see as crazy a volume of trades. This is for us going to be more about science this offseason. It's rule five picks. It's minor league free agency. And it's finding those, you know, looking under the stone and finding something that no one else saw. We have reached the time of Stump JD for the 60th episode, Jerry. And as it is the final episode of the 2019 season, I find no better Stump JD than can you name all of our relievers this season? <laughs> I'm, oh kidding, I'm kidding. That's There's not it. That would be great. We only have so much time. Because <laughs> no one has the ability. Could you name all the relievers, Colin? No. I couldn't name all the relievers or, that are down there right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, there's a lot of them. Yeah, the, I wish. Yeah. Can we? I wonder if we. I think I could do it, but on this the is made side, for a I different. Wonder, did we have a close up of Jerry's face there when I asked? We'll slow question. it down yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we're gonna need it. Yeah, we'll have to get Supermo <laughs> on that, and maybe a freeze frame because that was that was complete terror. Speaking of, I do respect Root going Supermo on the ejection last night. That was a bit of an artistic touch there. On the actual heave hole? Yeah. Yeah, it's nice, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, you had to be patient for the wait for the whole thing, yeah. but it was good. It took longer than the game <laughs> as it worked out. <laughs> All right, so Stump JD, since we are knocking on the door of October baseball, uh, we're going a little niche, as is uh, sometimes the case here uh, for Stump JD. Jerry, I'd like you to tell us the first player – to win the World Series in each league in back-to-back years. The first player to win the World Series in both leagues in back-to-back yeah. years. So, like, for example, in 1990, he won the World Series in the National League, and in 1991, he won a World Series ring in the American League. Gotcha. So it was not, like, yeah, the first it, player. This, it has, I will tell you this. It has not happened very often. It has happened more recently for whatever reason, probably just because of player free movement. agency. Yeah, movement. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So is it? Can I ask for a hint? Is it possible? <laughs> Only if you emphasize ah uh, like uh, that one more time. That was um, my Wayne's World. <laughs> it, yes. Um, okay. The, how about if I give you? If I give you the years, is that too much? Of no. Hint? Just it, has it happened? Is is this since the onset of free agency? So 1976 forward. It's funny you said that year, Jerry. It's funny you said that year in particular. Because that is the first of the two years. 1976 is yeah. the first of the two years. That would mean that the right answer to this question is Don Gall. Ho, 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 Jerry! Man! That's pretty Jerry! Good. Okay, That's lucky that, man. That was amazing. There's that was amazing. Are you looking uh, over here, man? No, no, I think I'm not. the most impressive one ever. Yeah. You're in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Hey, let's toast to that. Dude, that was nicely done. Uh, Jerry, Don Gold at 1976 with the Reds. Funny thing enough, he started against the Yankees. And then the next year, signs a $2 million deal with the Yankees. Which was big money. At which time. was big money, yeah. right? And wins the World Series with the Bombers. Uh, which it, it, a lot of people listening and watching probably have no idea who Don Gold is. Looking into him more and more, it's a tragic ending to what oh, looked yeah. like a Hall of Fame career. He threw his final pitch when he was 27 years old. I think Don Gullett was a super hard thrower. Uh, debuted in the big leagues as a teenager. Got 
you know, the big red machine, got off to the big starts, was later the pitching coach of the Cincinnati Reds, was, uh, was with the Reds when I was playing in the National League, and a really good guy. And it is, I, I remember having been a kid in Jersey at that time, and that's, that's right about the time where I'm watching baseball every hour of every day. And, and uh, you know, as a you know, nine, 10, 11 year old. And, and, and it's, it's, it's fun to, to remember back to those times. But I remember when Don Gullett signed as a free agent, he was one of the very first premium free agents and, you know, $2 million. It was Don Gullett. It was Catfish Hunter. The Yankees were going to rule the world with pitching and, and it didn't really work out for Don Gullett. Uh, it did work out for a period with Catfish. Some of the other players, I mentioned a large gap in time before it happened again. Uh, Jake Peavy did it. Won it in 13 with the Red Sox, 14 with the Giants. Uh, remember, Peavy was the one who bought the duck boat yeah, from yeah, the yeah, yeah. World Series parade for the Red Sox, which he now has on like his Alabama farm someplace. And then uh, Zobris did it uh, with the Royals in 15 and then the Cubbies in 16. So it's happened a couple more times. But man, I, I'm not. I'm taking it back. I've got one where it happened. It happened twice in a row with a former teammate of mine. Oh yeah, who was that? Uh, Jack Morris. Jack Morris with the 91 Minnesota oh, Twins nice. okay. and then with the 92-3 and three Blue Jays. And I, and I can tell you part of the reason I remember this is because uh, I played with Jack in 1994 in Cleveland, and he was one of the late signees. And he, and he came out the first day of spring training uh, once he arrived, and we'd already been there for a couple of weeks. And he introduced himself to the group. Boys, I don't know what I'm doing here. Minnesota in 91, Toronto in 92 and 93, here I am. Hop on back. We're going for a ride. That's pretty. That's that is pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Jerry, not to nitpick here. We're talking the two, same league, same league, same league. So you're right. You're right. You want to, you want to apologize for that? I apologize. Because yeah, I apologize. You when you're hot, Jerry, just shut it down. Shut it down. I was so excited. I want to tell that story. I can't believe you got gold, man. It's just yeah. George Costanza right out of here. I, I thought <laughs> I'm going to just destroy Jerry in the final stump JD of the year. All right, let's go to some easier questions. Remember, you can always email the podcast uh, when we get back on the air after a little bit of a winter hiatus. The Wheelhouse at Mariners.com. Uh, Mary Moe on Twitter, Jerry. Uh, knowing what you know, uh, where we are with the season, with players, etc., what, if anything, would you have done differently last offseason? And does he, do you have any plans for this upcoming offseason? Which, since we've kind of talked about uh, the Mariners as a club this offseason. How about you personally? Any plans for the offseason? Uh, well, I guess first in reverse order, for me personally, we are, my wife and I are going to go to Hong Kong. My my youngest daughter is has been living over there for a little over three years now, and, and we go visit periodically, and, and our next visit is coming up. A little bit of a tumultuous time to visit Hong Kong, but we is are... Is she still uh, at Disney? Yes, yeah. So we're headed over there at the tail end of October, and and uh, looking forward to it. So we've we've got that the the normal meeting season, you know the the GM meetings the the winter meetings we've got a series of scouting meetings that start really the Monday after the season ends we'll be down in Peoria, go see our fall league players uh, invest in five days of watching some of our kids rake and Sam Delaplane and Penn Murphy get them out um, that'll be fun. Our off season is really this year going to be about looking through the, the I guess what I would call the secondary acquisition market. It's, it's looking into the various like, couch cushions for the Rule 5 picks, the minor league free agents, the 
what has somebody missed that we can go find? We are going to have a considerable number of open spots on our 40-man roster as we enter into the, the offseason, which gives us unbelievable flexibility and leverage in terms to attract players to our team. Um, I guess beyond that, in looking back at what I would have done differently uh, at the end of 2018, I think what we chose as a direction has been supported by the way the American League has played out this year. And we spoke about it a little earlier. I, I can't imagine what it would have felt like if we were rolling out a team that was the oldest in the American League or thereabouts, uh, oldest in the American League with an inflated $170 million payroll. And we were staring in the face of 80 wins because there were some superpowers around us and we couldn't keep up with the Joneses. And we had the 30th rank farm system in the league. That would have been a dejecting season. The fact that we were able to, to reset and put ourselves in position to experience something greater than that, 2020 and beyond, that to me is rewarding. And, and, and I'm looking back at that thinking, I couldn't have told you that it was going to work out exactly the way it did. I don't think we could have had a better year developmentally. Virtually every player that we had in our minor league system that we needed to see take steps forward did exactly that, and, and we're so excited for it. So I, I, I will look back and say I wouldn't change much. It's incredible that the 2019 season has come to a close. 60 episodes of the Wheelhouse podcast in the books. Uh, Colin, fine work as always. Second year the show has been going on. Colin, of course, the brainchild of it. And, uh, Jerry, we don't tell you this enough. Uh, there's not another executive forget in our game but in any professional sport that is is as transparent as you are and gives us and the fan as much information as you do on such a routine basis we cannot thank you enough for that uh we hope you enjoy hong kong uh enjoy the off season i know it will be a, a busy one even if it won't be maybe as busy as recent years but thank you jerry this has been a blast as always i love doing it guys and i, and I can't thank you enough for for putting this type of of i guess vehicle together to to just get the message out it's a we have a fun thing going on here, and I know it's been miserable at times watching our, our 2019 performance, but I do believe that it ends in the not-too-distant future with us really appreciating the fact that we went through it because it's, a, it's got a chance to pay off. And Colin, a, a brief guess. Uh, the next episode will be at some point? Early after the playoffs. Depends okay. a little bit on Jerry and how active we are early on. Should we necessitate an episode? We'll bounce right back. But So we'll go dark for a little bit, but we'll have a couple over the winter time. Yeah. Very Talk nice. a little off-season moves, just like we did more so the first winter and of the last Hong winter. Jerry Hong Kong food picks? Definitely. Oh, I've got some <laughs> Hong Kong food picks. Definitely, definitely. Jerry, thanks, man. I appreciate you it. You got it, guys. Thanks.